name forevermore. And may the name of Jesus be lifted high in this place here this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of Luke uh, in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So if you get to John, just flip backwards a few pages and you'll be in Luke 24. In 1874, there was a, a boy that was born in the nation of Hungary. He would later move to the United States in the early 1900s through the 1920s. He was known as the greatest illusionist or, and escape artist of all time. His name was Harry Houdini. It seemed that, that for Harry Houdini, it seemed like nothing uh, could hold him. It seemed like there was nothing that he could escape from. They would, they would put him in, in this secure jail cell and in a matter of moments he was out. They would put handcuffs on him and somehow these handcuffs would fall off. They sewed him up in, in canvas bags and somehow he was able to get out. One time they put him in, in, in a metal milk can and, and they riveted the, the, the metal, they riveted the bolts to the top of the can. Somehow, he got out. One time he was sealed and he was welded in, in, in boilers and he got out. Another time, they put him in a coffin and they put the chains around the coffin and they threw it into the river. Somehow, he escaped. Some thought that maybe Harry Houdini had supernatural powers. One man once said, that man could escape from anything. But in October of 1926, Harry Houdini found something that he could not escape from. He suffered from a ruptured appendix and he died. During his life, Houdini had studied many things. He had studied some of the supernatural type of things, not necessarily the things of God, but the things of the supernatural. He studied these, uh, you know, these ways to communicate with people that have, have died and, 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 and although he had studied these things and although he believed that the mediums of his day which these are these people who say they can talk to the dead he was convinced that all of these people were frauds but in the midst of all of that and even though he was convinced that they were frauds he started believing maybe I can figure out a way to communicate from the great beyond and so he he made a deal with his wife that should he pass away he gave her a secret code word and should he pass away that on his birthday that she would she would sit and meditate and she would listen to see if he would communicate with her he he said I will I will communicate and here's the word here's the word I'm going to use and so the first year after he died she put a picture up and she lit a candle and she sat there and I don't know how long she sat there on that day but she sat there listening wondering trying to be open to the possibility of being communicated with but nothing happened she did it on year two and nothing happened she did it on year three and then nothing happened and finally after the tenth year she blew out the candle for the last time she never tried again because Harry Houdini had failed to communicate with her from the other side. Friends, I want you to know that death is a trap that not even Harry Houdini could escape from. And after 10 years, and now it's been almost 93 years later, the voice of Harry Houdini remains silent. 
But praise God, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who we are here to worship today, the scripture says that he died on a Friday, he was placed in the tomb on Friday, but on the third day he got up and he walked out. Amen. Friends, there is only one name in heaven on, in, or on earth that is worthy of our praise. It is not the name of Muhammad. It is not the name of Confucius. It is not the name of any one of the many Buddhas that people worship. It is not the name of some former Dalai Lama. It's not the name of Joseph Smith or even the name of Harry Houdini. Because they're all dead. They're all dead. The only name worthy of worship is the same name by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of the living God. Friends, I want you to understand the resurrection of Jesus is, is uh, the most supremely sufficient and most supremely significant event in all of history. It is not a fairy tale. It's not a Bible story. It's not mythology. It is something that really happened. It was historically recorded both inside the Bible and outside the Bible. And this morning as, as we study this empty tomb, we're going to find that although Jesus was not there that day, there still was much to find. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to read verses 1 through 12 and then I'm going to skip down after we get to verse 12, we'll skip down to verse 44 and read through the end of the chapters. It's a long passage, so hang in with us as we read the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men standing by them in dazzling clothes. Soon, uh, so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying... The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful man, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and when he stood to look in, he stooped to look in, he saw only linen clothes. So he went home amazed at what had happened. Let's skip down to verse 44, and you're going to hear the words of the risen Lord as he talks to his disciples. Then he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer 
and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. And as for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple complex, praising God. Father, it is our prayer here this morning. Father, that we would hear from you. And God, as we study this passage, there is so much here that we can unpack. And Father, that would be life-giving for us this morning. But Lord, I pray that as we dig into just a few things, Father, that you would uh, speak truth, that you would convict hearts. Father, you would encourage those that are downtrodden today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In that empty tomb, we did not find Jesus. The, the body of Jesus was not there, but on the resurrection morning in the tomb that was empty, they found some other things. And the first thing they found was a new purpose. I want you to see the second half of verse 5 and the first half of verse 6. Uh, the angels, by the way, the men that they saw uh, were angels. You know that if you read, you put the other gospel accounts, resurrection accounts from the other gospels together. We see that Mary and Mary Magdalene and, and um, uh, Salome and another Mary uh, were there. And uh, they saw two angels and the angels say, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has been resurrected. When the women went to the tomb that day, they were not looking for a person that was living, they were looking for a person that was dead. They went to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. And, and this was something that you would do for, for, for a, a, a body, for a corpse. When somebody has died, they would be anointed with spices. And what that did, because they didn't bury them, I mean, sometimes we say they buried because they kind of put them into the ground or into a, a, a mountain, but they would, there was this tomb, it was more, more like a cave, and they would put these uh, the people in the tomb, seal it off, but still there would be an odor from the decomposition, and so they treated the body with spices in order to mask that odor. But now, here's the thing, if you read, you read the, the Gospels and, and we see this account of the resurrection of Jesus, one of the things that we, that we know and understand is that his body had already been prepared for burial. Scripture tells us that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two Pharisees who, who were believers in Jesus, that they, they took his body, they, they wrapped his body. It says that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to use in the wrapping as they wrapped and prepared the body of Jesus for burial. And although the Joseph and Nicodemus, these men went to great lengths to prepare Jesus for burial. Obviously, there was something more that the Marys and the other women felt like needed to be done. So they were there when Jesus was buried. They were there when the, when the tomb was sealed, so they knew exactly where it was. After getting home, and I'm sure they were an emotional wreck. I'm sure they were distraught. And, 
and uh, they were emotional and frantic, and they began instantly preparing. You know, these men, they didn't do it the right way. Now, ladies, we're going to have to get, 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 get behind it and do it the right way. And so they began preparing their spices, and, but, but nightfall came. And if you understand anything about the Sabbath, it is from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. That is, that is considered the Sabbath period. And so they had to take a break from that. They got done what they could get done. They took a break. They rested, which is what they were supposed to do. Uh, in, in observing the command of God in the Sabbath day, but as soon as they could on the next day, as soon as they could, they got their stuff and they hurried off to the tomb. Now, now I want you to understand that, that, that I don't really think they had thought this through a whole lot because, number one, they really did not know. They had no way of knowing at this point uh, that Caesar had ordered a squadron of Roman soldiers, okay? When the Bible says and uses... Uh, th this, this word to talk about the guard at the tomb. You know, a lot of times we see the, the passion play, these two guys, you know, they're standing on each side with their little, their little uh, um, spear or whatever. Listen, uh, that word that's translated as a guard, that word in the Greek means a squadron of guards, okay? And so there were a squadron of Roman soldiers that were dispersed to the tomb to serve as a garrison to protect it from any grave robbers and any of these Christ followers who might want to steal his body so that they could say then that he had risen from the dead. See, Mary uh, and the other, the, the Marys and the other women had no way of knowing that. They have no way of knowing that not only was there a garrison there, but there was a, a seal of, uh, of Caesar on the tomb. They would, they would take wax and they would melt it and kind of create this stamp thing. And, and once something was sealed, if you were not authorized to break that seal, if you, if you were unauthorized to break that seal, you would suffer the penalty of death. And so the, they didn't know that there, was, there were guards there. They didn't know that the, that the tomb was sealed. Now, I, I assume they had some plan. They probably thought far enough to think, well, we, I'm, we can roll that rock just a little ways and one of us can squeeze in and do what we need to do. They must have had some sort of plan for that. But here's the thing, they didn't need that plan because when they got to the tomb, the guards were gone. When they got to the tomb, the seal was broken. When they got to the tomb, the rock was already rolled away and the body of Jesus was not there. It was empty. So they get there and they see the empty tomb. They're kind of confused. They don't know what's going on. They, they see these angels that, that ask them this very provoking question. And the question is this. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? See, the purpose of the Marys that day involved seeking a dead Jesus. But God's purpose was that they would seek the living Jesus. They came there to experience things of death. But God's purpose was that they would live in the way of the light and that they would seek the things of the living God. In the empty tomb, they found a new purpose. They found a, a, a life-giving purpose. Listen, friends, purpose is important, okay? Purpose is important because... Uh, your purpose, the things that you perceive to be your purpose in life, they guide your life decisions. Your, your life purpose will influence your behavior. It will 
shape your goals. It will offer a sense of direction for you. It creates meaning above and beyond you know, the, 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 the everyday things that we experience. And that's why I believe that one of the most tragic things in life is the absence of, a, of godly purpose. One of the most tragic things in life, one of the most tragic ways that you could live is to live apart from the purpose of God. The great theologian Oswald Chambers once, once pointed out, he said, as Christians, we are not here for our own purposes at all. We are here for the purposes of God, and the two are not the same. Friends, I want to ask you something. What is your purpose this morning? What is your purpose? What is your motivation? What drives you today? And I'm sure that most of you in the room have heard about the fire that ripped through the cathedral in Notre Dame uh, last Monday uh, at a quarter to 1 p.m. Paris time. Security guards began to notice flames for the first time and it's believed that some sort of short circuit caused the fire. It's also believed, although they're still trying to get the data in and interpret things, but it's also believed that a, a faulty computer system, some computer glitch, may have prevented the sprinkler system uh, from properly engaging in order to contain the fire. And, and experts estimate that the fire did over a billion dollars worth of damage to this cathedral that is 856 years old. If you've seen this picture, this picture comes, this particular picture, there's many versions of this. I got this off of rollingstone.com. This is a picture of the debris. It was just taken a day or two ago. And as you look at it, there is, uh, it's hard to look at, understanding that that was a, an ancient place of worship. It's hard to, to, to see the, the charred debris and the fire and the smoke damage. But I want you to look at something because there's something amazing illustrated in this. In the midst of all the damage, it gives us an example of what it looks like to serve the purpose of God. Almost everything is burned away in this picture, but the thing that remains undamaged and unfaced is the altar of God and the cross of Christ. Amen? Listen, I, I want you to understand People spend their whole lives driven by selfish things. They, they spend their whole lives driven by selfish motives. A, a better job, more money, a bigger house, a better car. They chase popularity. They chase fame and celebrity and achievement and recognition. They're driven by the things that make them happy. They're driving forces what makes me happy. And it's all about what I want and what I can get and what I can experience. Folks, we have to understand that life is not about me, it's about He. See, all the things that we achieve on this earth, the wealth, the fame, the fortune, whatever it is, if it is not led of God, it will all burn away in eternity. Because friends, it's only the things that God leads us to do, the things that are done in the name and for the name of Jesus, those are the things that will stand forevermore. And so when we look at this picture, we see the glory of God displayed in all of the mess. Standing strong is the cross. 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with success. God may bless you with success as you pursue him. But the question for you is this. Is your life ultimately driven and shaped by God? On, a, on a, just a, a, a gut level. I mean, you have to ask yourself, am I serving God's purpose? If not, maybe this morning you need to take a look inside the empty tomb and begin to discover your godly purpose. Why would you seek the living among the dead? See, in the tomb they found purpose, but they also found the gospel message. The gospel message. Look, verses 9 through 10. This, this is actually illustrated in, in a few other verses, but I'm just going to show you 9 through 10 right here. It says, returning from the tomb, they, talking about the women, these are the women that initially encountered the angels uh, at the tomb and encountered the empty tomb. They discovered it. It says, returning from the tomb, the women reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Friends, I want you to understand that the empty tomb gives us an amazing message to tell. It's a message about the amazing grace of our God. It's a, it's a message about the victory in Jesus who sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. It is the gospel message. It's the good news. See, on that first Easter weekend, some 2019 years ago, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified. Scripture tells us that Jesus had been arrested, he had been beaten, he had been mocked, he was sentenced to death, although he had committed no crime, he was sentenced to death, and not just any death, but a shameful execution on a cross. He would die on a cross in a place called Golgotha. Golgotha, the word Golgotha is derived from a Hebrew word that means skull. He was crucified in a place known as the place of the skull. Later on, that place would also become associated with the Latin word that also refers to it, and that word is Calvary. Calvary. Golgotha and Calvary, same place, different languages, different words to describe the same Place. And scripture tells us that when he died on the cross, that he did not take, that they did not take his life, but he willingly gave his life up. He let himself go. Friends, I want you to understand at any moment, any moment, at the utter of the word or even the thought that would command, that would come through his head, he could have been off that cross just like that. He could have called the angels and they would have come down, they would have took him off the cross and they could have annihilated that place. But he knew that was not God's plan. So he gave himself up. He knew he was unjustly uh, uh, convicted, unjustly crucified. But he gave himself for the sins of the world. Scripture tells us that before he took his last, last breath, he made a declaration in the Greek. It's pronounced tetelestai. It's a term that's translated in the English as it is finished. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. 
And his death on the cross would pay for our sins. And when he said, it is finished, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up his spirit. It is at that moment that the song, the beautiful song, uh, most, one of the most appropriate times you could have sang that song for the first time, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Scripture teaches us that when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for you and I to be reconciled unto God. We can be reconciled unto God by repenting of our sin, by turning towards Jesus Christ in faith and trusting him as our Lord and Savior. Listen, folks, when we look at the empty tomb, we find the gospel message. We see just a, a physical, literal representation of the good News And the good news starts with the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross. But it also includes the fact that not only did Jesus die, not only was he buried like some regular old person, but on the third day he rose again and the tomb is empty. They laid him in the tomb. But he didn't stay there very long. I was reminded as we sang the words of a song just a moment ago it says, although we know that although he was put in the tomb, we, we, we see these lyrics of the song because on the third at break of dawn, the Son of God, the Son of Heaven rose again. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. We have a message to tell gospel message of forgiven he is risen and you can be forgiven evermore see the resurrection of christ proves that jesus was and is exactly who he said he was you know we live in a day today when uh, there are a lot of people that are skeptical if you spend very very much time talking to people whether it's sharing the gospel or just having conversations about God. You know, you find that, 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 that there are a lot of people, particularly people that are under the age of 30, that are very skeptical and of, of, of the existence of God and they're skeptical of the credibility and authority of Jesus. And listen, when that happens, I want to encourage you, you can actually take them to three places. Number one, you can take them to the gospel account, the biblical account, if they have any value for the word of God, you can open up the word of God and say, look at what the Bible says, Jesus rose again. You can also take them to the historical account. Friends, I, I want you to understand that the resurrection of Jesus is historically is recorded both inside and outside of the Bible. You know, it, it ought to be enough for us that it's in the Word of God, but you know, the Word of God is backed up by, uh, by, by data. I mean, it, it's awesome. The more you study the way that the Word of God interacts with historical facts and interacts with science, man, you see that, that you can trust the Word of God. When, when you take the account of Jesus and you apply the same standards of evaluating history that are used to evaluate other things, other historical events that we believe and accept as facts today. If you just apply those standards to the Word of God, you're going to find that it holds up, and it holds up well. 
The historical account of Jesus, his death, his resurrection are strong. You can take them. When they're skeptical, take them to the biblical account. Take them to the historical account. But you need to also take them to your personal account. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a story to tell. You have a personal story to tell. Skeptics, listen, skeptics, and there are people that will argue with you. They'll try to throw you off track. I mean, they'll throw questions at you about things you've never thought about and things you're not familiar with. And there are going to be times when someone asks you and you just say, I'm not sure about that, but here's what I know to be true. I know what God did in my life. There is no better expert to describe what God has done for you than you. You are the expert of your own story. People need to hear about how Jesus has changed your life. How can they hear if you're not willing to talk about it? So when you talk about the things of Jesus, people that are searching and people that are asking questions, uh, they see and they hear and they understand that that, that there's value in these things of God. They, they begin to understand that they too can trust God because you have testified about what God has done in your life. Listen, if the tomb wasn't empty, there wouldn't be, be a story to tell. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that without the resurrection, our faith would be useless and we would be deceivers because if the resurrection wasn't true then if you're telling people that Jesus is resurrected and he's the son of God and he's the Messiah he's the fulfillment of the prophecies because the prophecies say that he was going to rise from the dead and if he had not really risen and we say that he has then we're just a bunch of liars and the faith that we have in Jesus is worthless that's what 1 Corinthians 15 says in the empty tomb proves to us that Jesus was and is the Son of God. It proves to us that He is the Messiah. It proves to us that He's the sacrificial Lamb that died for our sins. It, it, it proves to us that He is the one that God has offered. Uh, he is the one that brings redemption with God. He is the one that brings purpose for, for, for our life, both here on this earth and, and, and also in eternity. See, they didn't find the body in that tomb that day, but they found new purpose. They found a, a message to tell, the gospel message, but they also found this, a way of salvation. Verse, down to verse 46, down towards the end of the chapter. Jesus said to them, reminds them, he says, this is what was written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, Verse 47, repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. Friends, the empty tomb points to the way of salvation. It's in John 14 that Jesus tells us, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He doesn't say I'm a way, he says I'm the way. He is the way to God, the one and only way to God. In Acts 4, it says that there is salvation in no one else, no other name uh, that, that by which you can be saved. It says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Scripture teaches us that we live in a world broken by sin and all of us, even, listen, even the best of us, we're, we're affected by sin. We're, we're broken by it. When we're born, we inherit what we call a sin nature. And because of that sin nature, we, know, we, we not only will, will be victims of a world broken by sin, but we will eventually, because of that sin nature, become perpetrators of that sin. And that's why Romans chapter 3 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect, myself included. The best person in the world, the most moral person living today, is not perfect. You know, a lot of people will, will hear that and they'll look around and at all the crazy stuff in the world and they'll say, you know, if God knows about all the sin and all the bad things in the world, why doesn't he do something about it? Friends, the empty tomb shows us that he did. That's exactly what he did. Nicodemus, remember, Jesus' body was wrapped by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. You, you, you might know Nicodemus. He's the one that Jesus is talking to in John chapter 3. See, he knew firsthand about God's answer to a world of sin and the problem of sin. And it is in John chapter 3 that one of the most famous passages in all of the Bible was spoken from Jesus to Nicodemus when he said, For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Mark chapter 1, Jesus gave another detail about what it means to receive eternal life. He, he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. In the book of Romans, Paul describes for us the mechanics of salvation. How, how, how is it that we can accept that gift of eternal life? Romans 10, 9 through 10 basically shows this is very simple. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with a heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Listen, you have to believe deep down in your heart. Not just with your head, but in your heart. You, you can't be saved by words. People get, get mixed up and they think, well, if I pray this prayer or that prayer, that I can be saved because I said certain words. You are not saved by words. Scripture tells us that you're saved by faith alone and crossed alone but here's the thing when you really believe with a heartfelt faith in Jesus that faith within begins to show itself on the outside it's what I always say whatever is in the well will come out in the bucket and if Jesus is in your heart it'll come out not just in what you say but how you live and if, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior it won't be hard for you to say I believe in the resurrection and that he will come again. It is not hard to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. Let me ask you something, friends. Have you accepted the gift of salvation? Scripture tells us that, that Jesus bought your salvation. When he died on the cross, he purchased your salvation, and he offers it to you as a gift. But just like with any gift that someone gives you, whether it's Christmas or your birthday, whatever it is. If you want that gift, it's, it's there for you. You've got to reach out and you've got to accept it. And you've got to embrace it. Simply knowing that Jesus died for your sins 
doesn't do any good if you're not willing to put your faith and your trust in Him. A saving faith. Are you 100% sure that when you step into eternity, that you're going to step into the arms of a loving Savior and into a heavenly home? And if not, join me this morning as we look at the empty tomb and we find the way of salvation. See, in that empty tomb, they found new purpose. They found the gospel message. They found a way of salvation. And the last thing, beautiful thing, they found a reason, the reason to worship. Verse 52 and 53, after worshiping Jesus, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now, this is not just the women, but the disciples as well at this point. And they were continually, continually in the temple complex praising God. They had the reason, they found the reason to worship. So now, I don't know what you're going through today. I, I don't know where you are with things, but, but I know one thing. I know God loves you. I know God sent his son to die for you. Scripture tells us that God's love for you is so patient and that, that it's his desire that none would perish but that all would come into repentance. Friends, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a reason to worship this morning. You have a reason to come to church. You have a reason to praise. You, you, you have a reason to fall at his feet. You have a reason to devote your life and your career and your family to the things of God. See, the truth is, is that worship is not just what happens when you come in this room, although this is part of it. Worship is your life. Your entire life is designed to be an act of worship. And no matter where you are on that journey today, on this Easter Sunday in 2019, you can find new purpose. You can find the gospel message. You can find the one and only way to salvation. You can have a reason to worship today because the tomb is empty. And maybe it's time that you come in and take a look. Let's pray.